This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise. I'm Lois Griffiths Martin, and I feel very honored to have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Elin Pape. Elin is Professor of History at the College of Social Sciences and International Studies and Director of the European Centre for Palestine Studies at the University of Exeter. And Professor Pape is the author of very many books, including the best-selling The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. He has been described by John Pilger as Israel's bravest, most principled, most incisive historian. Welcome to Earthwise, Elan Pape. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Well, Elan, recently we read in Haratz that some IDF veterans, and they must be pretty old now, from the 1948 fighting that led to Israel becoming an independent country, they've spoken out publicly about what really happened at a village that was then called Tantura. The name Tantura rang a bell because years ago, when your book came out in 2010, we bought and read Out of the Frame, Please tell us about the Tantura affair at Haifa University in the 1980s and how it affected you. Yes. Um, In the late 1990s, actually, uh, a student of mine uh, wrote a master's uh, dissertation, and uh, he was looking at what happened in the 1948 war in several villages south of the city of Haifa. And uh, he combined evidence from uh, Israeli soldiers on the one hand and Palestinian uh, villages on the other. And on one of the uh, uh, villages, he heard from both sides that an unknown massacre on quite a huge scale uh, took, took place in 1948, and that's what he wrote in his dissertation. Now, uh, two years later, a journalist found it, and published its uh, findings both in the local Israeli newspapers and in international media. And under pressure of their peers uh, and the university, some of the soldiers retracted from the evidence they gave him, in which they graphically describe what they have done, actually, in that uh, massacre. And he was sued for libel by the same soldiers who actually admitted uh, in front of him that they committed the massacre. And under pressure, and I won't go all the details, he first of all confessed uh, uh, wrongly that he uh, fabricated evidence, then he retracted his confession. The end of the story was that he was disqualified. To my great surprise, I was the only uh, academic member and historian in Israel who bothered to look into the question myself and found that he was absolutely right. I defended him which brought to direct confrontation between me and the university and led eventually to my expulsion from the university. And I was uh, forced to look for an academic job outside of Israel. And that's how I ended in Exeter in the United Kingdom. Uh, And uh, I thought that was it. But uh, an Israeli film director recently 
went back to the very same soldiers who uh, retracted their early evidence, and they confessed in their 90s, as you said, they're not very young, uh, and probably on the deathbed, uh, that they actually uh, were, uh, the student told the truth, I told the truth, and that they were forced to lie in front of the, of the court, and they regretted it. And uh, um, so now, uh, when Israeli soldiers in the final version admit to the massacre on which the victims of the massacre, those who survived, told the world for years, it became a fact. Uh, and uh, it's a very important uh, step in unearthing what happened in 1948, uh, and it completes uh, a picture that uh, was still contentious in the eyes of too many people. It's an amazing story. This was Teddy Katz. What became of him? Well, um, he was under great pressure uh, because of the whole affair. He had two strokes. And today this once very energetic student uh, is on a wheelchair. He's uh, uh, crippled. uh, uh, And uh, he really paid dearly uh, physically and mentally uh, for being brave enough to stick to the truth despite one moment in which he he broke down, but he immediately got his bearing back. Uh, I think he he feels very good now with the film because it really does justice to him. Uh, And uh, there's still a possibility maybe that, at least in his case, the university would return to him the degree, although we have to wait and see. Yes, this whole incident must have had a chilling effect on other students. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Palestinian students who are Israeli citizens normally and naturally would be interested in looking at their own people's history, especially in the most catastrophic year in their history, in their modern history. And when they saw what happened to a Jewish student, they said to me, I'm not going to imagine what they would do to a Palestinian student. And yes, I think it undermined uh, a whole generation of young Israeli historians who did not when did not dare to uh, uh, contradict or confront the mainstream uh, narrative and uh, be, were very obedient to the Zionist Israeli narrative. Uh, I hope that this time maybe this would open the door for more critical evaluation of the past. Yes, it must have a chilling effect on the, the staff of the universities, the lecturers and professors. Absolutely. Uh, people sometimes don't understand it, I think, that uh, uh, even in a, a country that, at least as far as its Jewish citizens are concerned, is behaving and acting like a democracy, uh, uh, indoctrination is very powerful, self-censorship is very powerful, and any deviation will can cost you not your life, uh, they will not be shot or tortured, but will cost you your, your, your job. And, and therefore, uh, well, academic courage at best of time can be an oxymoron. Uh, academic courage in front of such uh, indoctrination is very rare. Uh, but I'm glad to say that here and there there are some faculty members, but all in all, the, it's a very obedient community and in many ways complicit in what Israel is doing and has been doing to the Palestinians for many years. Well, I've just reread it out of the frame, and what struck me this time was comparing it with New Zealand society. It's the the compulsory militarization, the compulsory military service, and you've used the phrase the arming of the Zionist mind, the the effects of the military on 
all aspects of society. Could you comment on that? Yes. Uh, well, some people say Israel is an army with the state, uh, which might be an exaggeration, but not that much of an exaggeration. Uh, the army is the main uh, means of socialization, of indoctrination. Uh, it is above uh, the law in many ways. Uh, it is, uh, 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 has a position uh, and respect that no other institution has. And therefore, uh, it can do almost everything it wants in terms of its relationship with people and nature as well. The army has taken over some of the most beautiful uh, sites in Israel for its own purposes. Mm -hmm. It uh, rules for now more than 50 years the life of Palestinians in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip in a a very brutal way. And... um, People uh, still uh, see it as the symbol of their identity, of their uh, uh, purpose in life, uh, and uh, in many ways, peace in the future would have to go through a certain degree of demilitarization if there's ever a chance for reconciliation. It's a fact in Israel, even if you apply for a job, don't the advertisements say that you have to be a veteran or something very similar to even apply for the job? In certain places, yes. First of all, in the, in the public sector, uh, using the fact that by an agreement between the Palestinian minority and the state, they are not serving in the army, the way to avoid a direct racist discourse, they say that only people who serve in the army can get a job, let's say, in telecommunication and industry. And 70% of the Israeli industry is connected to security in one way or another. So it's blocked uh, uh, and barred for Palestinian citizens. In private sector, you can see a lot of advertisement in restaurants and other places where it says we only accept people after the army service to, to work here. So it's kind of a uh, hidden, if you want, apartheid, but it's very effective. Uh, and definitely that's another uh, way of using the army as uh, maintaining the segregation uh, in the state between uh, Arabs and Jews. There have been a few very, very brave uh, Israeli Jewish teenagers who've refused to go into the army. How's that affected them? They get arrested, don't they? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, indeed, there are not many of them, but a few of them are. Uh, they refuse to go uh, to the army on ideological, uh, on ideological basis. Uh, they are likely to spend at least a year in military prison uh, for that. And, um, but I think these particular young uh, people are very determined uh, and are not deterred by one year in, in the military prison. They say it's much better than serving as a soldier in the occupation, uh, for instance. It's a growing phenomenon. Uh, not in huge numbers, but it is expanding. Uh, and alongside it is what we call the kind of gray area of of uh, uh, refusing uh, to serve in the army. People who not necessarily declare ideologically that they don't want to serve in the army, but find a way of evading uh, the service 
uh, and that is also happening. But one should say that the vast, still, the vast majority of young Israelis believe in the army, believe in the service, and uh, would like to volunteer to its elite units, which are the most important units maintaining uh, the occupation and the struggle with the Palestinians. Another point that your book makes is about the, um, the role of the military um, controlling what gets into the media, the, the myths that they've able to create. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, uh, there is uh, uh, there used to be even more official censorship that the army had uh, the, the chief editors had to meet the army and approve uh, what they published. This is not the case anymore, so it's much more a case of self censorship vis-à-vis the army uh, and uh, 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 the language of the army is the one which is adopted by the media. For example, the army doesn't talk about assassination. It doesn't talk about ethnic cleansing. It doesn't talk about killing of, of, of children. It uses a very kind of pharmaceutical language of, uh, uh, um, uh, that uh, has no relationship whatsoever to what they're really doing. And most of the, the journalists adopt this uh, language without any, uh, any, 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 any hesitation. Uh, and of course, every Palestinian uh, even a child that throws a stone at the uh, at the military vehicle is a terrorist. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch in Plains FM, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access Radio. Today's guest is Israeli, is Israeli historian Dr. Elan Pape. Elan, well, another book you've written, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, you use the phrases memory side and Nakba denial. How, has there been reaction in Israel to the recent revelations about Tantura? Well, uh, in general, one should say that uh, most Israelis are either unaware of what happened, which was when most of them were unaware. I was still hopeful that it was a matter of informing them of what happened, but we are moving into the stage that they know, but they don't care. Uh, as one Palestinian friend of mine said to me, I'm, I'm bewildered at the level that there isn't even a compassion towards what happened to the Palestinians 48, even before we discuss who is responsible, whether it was a crime or wasn't a crime. There seems to be no compassion to, to the people who, who suffered, which explains the dehumanization later on. And most Israelis have very little compassion to what happens to children in the Gaza Strip or in the, in the West Bank. So the reaction has been very limited. Uh, I don't think it will change fundamentally uh, the dehumanization of Palestinians in Israel. However, with all these things, one should always say that it does affect a small number of people. It's always very small, but it's a small community that grows. And I, I'm an optimistic, and I think uh, the more people would be exposed to it, it would be a very slow process. But eventually, maybe it would be a significant number. But if I'm honest, I have to say that at this moment in time, the vast majority of Israeli Jews uh, know quite a bit of what happened in 48, 
but they don't find it at all unacceptable uh, or feel any, any remorse or any problem uh, with the ethnic cleansing of 1948 is they don't feel uh, that there's any problem with the, the genocidal policies that Israel pursues uh, uh, in the Gaza Strip. So they just, are they, so I think the Palestinians want to use this phrase Nakba, but the Palestinians in Israel aren't allowed to, or, or something like that? Well, it's, yeah, to, to be accurate, there is what is called in Israel the Nakba law, which mm. uh, means that any uh, institution that is run by Palestinians in Israel, a municipality, a high school, a cultural center, and a theater, and so on, they would use the term Nakba, would lose, uh, first of all, would lose any subsidy that they are entitled to, uh, uh, or budget uh, from the government, and they might even also uh, risk being uh, uh, prosecuted uh, for it. Um, but the Palestinian civil society uh, and NGOs, of course, use it, uh, and there is uh, various uh, committees and organizations that uh, commemorate the Nakba among the Palestinians in Israel in a variety of ways. The the phrase that I think you've coined it, of memory side, I think it's a very powerful one. How does... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. memory side is... Yeah, it's, it's a very important one because um, the idea was, and it, it didn't work, by the way, but, but the idea was that if you erase uh, any... Uh, anything that testifies to what was there before 1948, you might kind of sustain a total denial of uh, the Nakba. Uh, and, and as if the event never happened, as if, uh, you know, uh, the Zionist settlers came to an empty land and built uh, settlements and colonies and towns uh, in an empty space. Um, and uh, uh, in order to achieve that, uh, uh, first of all, uh, the, the hundreds of Palestinian villages that were occupied were wiped out uh, totally. And on their ruins, either uh, Israel built uh, new Jewish settlements or planted uh, 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 forests uh, in order to cover up uh, uh, what happened there. Uh, and. Um, very interesting that in 2016 the government decided also to limit our access to documents. Uh, the person appointed by the Israeli Ministry of Defense to uh, uh, to overlook this operation of uh, closing archives of 1948, he said, uh, when he asked, why are you doing that? He said, well, uh, people are abusing these documents to uh, defame Israel. Uh, um, and, I, and then the interviewer asked him, but yes, but you know, there already, and mentioned my name, there are already historians who, who saw these documents. And he said, yes, but uh, uh, since nobody would be able to revisit these documents, nobody would believe these historians anymore, which, of course, is stupid and insidious. But it shows you that uh, that's one of the aspects of the Israeli treatment of Palestine, the Palestinians, the belief that is not going to work, by the way, that you can really uh, uh, erase from memory what happened uh, uh, in 1948 uh, and forget about it. I think I read you've, you've once met Edward Said. 
Is that correct? Sorry? You've met Edward Said? The late Edward Said? I met Edward Said? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've saved a quote. I like to collect quotes. And this is his quote. Part of the main plan of imperialism is that we will give you your history. We will write it for you. We will reorder the past. What's more truly frightening is the defacement, the mutilation, and ultimately the eradication of history. And you're saying yeah. that's not going to work. Well, I hope it doesn't. No, no. Edward was a good friend, a mentor and a good friend. And uh, uh, yes, he, he was worried about it. And uh, at one point he was, he was not sure that this is ever going to, to, to work, that we can sort of reintroduce the Palestinians into Palestine's history. But uh, the Palestinian resistance started and continues. There's a younger generation which is assertive and is not going to cave in and not going to give in. But uh, definitely the balance of power is such that uh, uh, Israel is writing, so far Israel is writing that history and not the Palestinians. But uh, it's not writing anymore the history books in, in academic centers around the world. It's not writing anymore, the, or doesn't tell. Its version of history is not the one that a lot of people outside of Israel subscribe to. There's a, a, a dramatic change in the way people understand what happens and what happened in Palestine. Uh, so I think, you know, so I know maybe the pen is not mightier uh, than the sword, but the pen is, in this case, I suppose, <laughs> it's not the pen anymore, the keyboard yes. is, as imp is, is an important one. and. Uh, uh, and yes, it doesn't change as yet the reality on the ground, but I think it is an important part of the struggle for justice and freedom in Palestine. Do you go back to yourself to Israel these days or not? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm an Israeli a Jewish citizen. Israelis do not uh, lose their citizens if they're Jews so far. I, I, work in the academia, yes. but I'm very much attached to the people there, especially to my Palestinian friends, and I'm very happy that I can go back, and I'm going back as much as I can. Uh, it's my country. Uh, it's maybe, maybe I don't identify with the state, but I definitely feel it's, it's my country, it's my history, and I want to contribute to changing it not just from the outside, but also from the inside. Yeah. And you are contributing. You might be interested to know that our next broadcast is going to be about the new book that you and Ramsey Barut have edited called Our Vision for Liberation, Engaged oh, Palestinian Leaders and Intellectuals Speak Out. Now, Mahmoud Darwish has said that Palestinians have an incurable disease called hope. Do you, Ilam, Ilam sorry, do you see any sign of hope? Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm always hopeful. I. I. I uh, I'm optimistic person. In, in. In. But I'm not also realistic enough. So I, I'm very always very worried of the near future. I. I. I, I can see worse things happening uh, to Palestinians and Palestine in the near future. But I think in the in the end, because I'm an historian, I, I do believe that uh, situations like this do not last uh, forever. And, uh, you know, some Israeli leaders at the time thought that Palestinian refugees would either die or forget. And this didn't happen. Uh, so uh, I, I think that any struggle for liberation and justice is, is a very long struggle. 
and there are many, many moments of despair, understandably. Uh, and it's very difficult to, to always to, to remain optimistic and hopeful. But um, the fact that uh, half, of half of the Palestinian population in the world is still in Palestine itself, the fact that despite all the fragmentation and so on, there is a struggle, there is an assertiveness, uh, and world public opinion has changed in favor of the Palestinians. So there are all kinds of indications that there can be a different scenario, but one has to be realistic enough to know that this is not going to happen very soon. Well, yes. well we wish you, of course, all the best in all it's your It's very kind of you to talk to yes. us. We appreciate it so much. No, I, I admire what you do. I love the combination of being both intellectual and academic and also concerned about, well, people. I think we all have to be a little bit of both. Yes. yes. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very right. much. And Good. thank you. Good, Good morning. Good night. Bye. Bye. Well, Mark, it was wonderful to talk to Professor Ilan Pape. What a fantastic man. Yes. What courage he has. And yes. uh, yeah. please look look up his books. We've mentioned a couple of them, but some of them are in the library. And our next program is going to be interviewing another book, which both he and Ramsey Barut, who studied at Exeter University, have have uh, edited. Exeter University seems to specialize in Palestine. They have a department. Yes, it must be a fantastic place. Studies. I don't think there's one like that in America. I wish there were. Anyway, for us at Earthwise, goodbye. Goodbye.